Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. So last time we covered the Swedes and their strategic overview, but now it's time to move on to the Catholic side of the war, or at least the Catholic reaction slash point of view of events post-Swedish invasion. With the success of the Swedes throughout 1631 and 1632, the Catholic forces were in a panic. They had lost several smaller battles on top of Bretonfeld, which was a disaster for the morale. The Imperial forces were also in disarray, leaving it hard to fight back against the Swedes and Protestants. They were mainly crammed into places like Bohemia, Bavaria, and parts of Westphalia, and to make matters worse, plague had come from Italy, which would not be good for the bunched-up Imperial troops and probably the Protestants in the process due to just how plague spreads. On a more personal level, Catholic nobility and clergy had to contend with the choice of either staying with their property to protect it or flee from persecution or being attacked by Protestant troops. Many clergy and nobility reported hearing rumors of their neighbors being massacred by Swedish troops, like at Würzburg. Sister Maria Anna Junius of Bamberg reported feeling dread at the approach of Swedish troops and having to debate if she wanted to flee. Ultimately, she stayed, but not all chose that path. Many fled, disguised themselves as common folk, generally to avoid attention, and many of them took as many valuables as they could, which included things like herds of cows or horses, which at that time were valuable and still are, depending on your lifestyle. The clergy generally tried to escape to other houses in their order in Austria or Switzerland, while others fled to cities like Cologne, Constance, and Salzburg, which some of them were under Swedish control, but they were imperial cities, so there might be some respite compared to smaller or more controlled areas. However, some cases of this fear of the Catholics was paranoia, although I can understand why they did, as it wasn't like religious violence was uncommon at this time period. Sister Junius stated that Swedish officers acted like gentlemen when they came to her convent, and she even entertained other guests at her convent that were Protestants. She even gave gifts to one of the soldiers who guarded the place. This actually anger in places like Bamberg, which had growing resentment at the fact of the bishops that fled, seeing as they were supposed to be the leaders and keep the faith, etc., but they fled in the face of the enemy. Which, like I said, understandable, but you can see why people would be not exactly happy with that. And I will say, the bishop couldn't have known that they would have been as merciful. So it's some points to him of, you can't have known, so it can't be fully on him. So events like this probably weren't rare, but still relatively uncommon. So many Catholic nobility and priests were probably correct in fleeing in the face of the expanding Swedes, as the Protestants took supremacy in the areas they controlled. And even at its best, the spread of the war and the Swedes brought disease, hardship, and worry, which any large war will do in an occupied territory. However, it was not only people fleeing that resulted from the Swedish spread. Issues of restitution in the edict kept showing up. Maximilian of Bavaria supported the Landgrave George of Darmstadt in pushing for a compromise of the edict and suspending it for the moment. Johann George actually supported the idea, but he was in a tough spot because he was currently aligned with the Swedes, which meant he couldn't benefit from this, as the Swedes promptly ignored the edict. And with the Imperial Army mostly in Bohemia and Silesia, the Catholic League was exposed, so many people in it were open to compromise about the edicts and maybe negotiate with the Swedes, although small chance on the latter. The Pope was actually concerned about this, so for a short time he sent subsidies to keep the League from thinking about negotiating separately and to keep them in the war. 
Maximilian, however, found it wasn't enough. So to get more support, he reached out to Duke Charles IV of Lorraine. But before we move on to that, I hope you all understand how bad the situation was for the Catholics. While we know there's plenty of internal issues on the Protestant front, those would not have been known to the Catholics, and what it would look like was the Swedes were unstoppable, especially after the battle like Breitenfeld. Granted, there probably was some intelligence about some issues, but not the larger scale that we saw. The Catholics had not only lost a footing in the war, the previous successes they've had against the all the rebels, against the Danish, that was kind of all, not for naught, but it hurt them way more because of the assumed invincibility of the Catholics that existed before. The Catholics had to reel and figure out what to do, having lost a good amount of the revenue in territory in the process, losing them large amounts of resources, man and money alike. And there was the fact that the Catholic League and Imperial Army were technically two separate things, which when the League could, in theory, leave, which the Pope feared. And remember, technically speaking, Tilly was under the Catholic League, under Maximilian, but he was granted command by Ferdinand. So he technically was controlling both, but it was still two separate armies and not one. It should be said the Catholic League didn't leave the war, but the fear of losing thousands of men and millions of talers was a fear that I can understand. Gustavus had definitely delivered a major blow, but the war was not over yet as there were still 16 years left in this war to go, assuming we're going off of 1632 on the rough timeline. But on to Lorraine... Lorraine in modern terms is an area in northeastern France on the German border, but back in the early 17th century, it was a former part of the empire, but it was basically autonomous, the empire being the HRE. Maximilian's connection to it was the fact his wife, Elizabeth Renat, was the aunt of the current Duke of Lorraine, which is why he tried to get their help as he had family connections and that was common at the time to use family connections to call an ally for war, get help, etc., Duke Charles had wanted to join the Catholic League in 1620, but Maximilian feared France not liking that and doing something about it, as it would draw them into the Habsburg sphere of influence, which France and the Habsburg was not something that mixed. So Maximilian was desperate when he was trying to bring them in now, which risked bringing France's ire, as once again they hated the Habsburgs. And this would be a small step in bringing France into the war in hindsight, but for now it just seemed like a minor diplomatic moment. Charles himself was a schemer, and in turn was known to being inconsistent due to that. He was generous and charming, but that did not help his case when he invited anti-Richelieu nobility into his court, which only made him more disliked, as Richelieu was the most influential member of the French court and government, and one of the most famous people if you've ever seen or read the Three Musketeers. Yeah, Richelieu, like I covered before, was a big deal. The biggest guest Charles had was actually the brother of the French king, Gaston d'Orlon. Gaston was a draw, and the Spanish found him more tolerable as an ally compared to the Huguenots, who Olivares briefly diplomatically flirted with back in the back in 1625, though that fell through, as mentioned in the fall of La Rochelle, the Huguenots that is. Gaston then fled to Brussels in 1631, though Duke Charles stayed involved with the exile. Gaston seemingly wanted a bigger role in the French government, which was partially due to his brother not letting him get married. This was to keep him from having kids who would have a claim to the throne, as the current king was childless and would be childless until 1638. He did secretly marry Duke Charles' younger sister in 1632, which probably would not make his brother happy, but that is a minor point as he is not really an influence in the war at this point. In larger politics, Charles wanted to remove the French influence that had been seeping into his land due to some of his lands or lands nearby, like Verdun, Toul, and Metz, being protectorates of the French. 
His main goal was to target Mets, as getting one of his family to become the elector of that place, or even just taking it, would be a bulwark in the French. So in 1630, he invited 2,700 Imperials to take the enclaves of Vic and Moyenvic that controlled the main road between France and Alsace. Richelieu, who was coming off the Mantuan affair, reacted by organizing and sending a full army to stop this, thinking this was an invasion of France, or at least a start of an invasion to France. The funny thing is, Ferdinand did not actually plan this to go any further, but Olivares was ready to support Charles if he wanted to invade France, as Habsburgs in Spain probably opposed the Orleans in France. Dynasties are like that. Spain saw this as a way to keep France from helping the Dutch, but it also raised the stakes as a whole, in Europe that is. Gaston, seeing all this, went to gather 2,500 cavalry at Montpellier, while Charles raised 15,000 men. Charles could not maintain them for long, and he was afraid of a French invasion, so he moved to help Tilly, though his forces weren't able to stop the Swedes from taking the lower Palatinate and were decimated by disease, so 7,000 men made it back to Lorraine in the aftermath of his defeat in about a month, which ended in getting back in June 1632. With the army out of the way and damaged, the France invaded Lorraine by December 1631. They captured the imperial garrisons at Vic and Moyenvic. There was another attempt to remove the French influence in May 1632, but with the reduced garrison, that failed, which led to the Treaty of Liverdun. Charles surrendered key towns and bridges, allowing France to connect the three previously mentioned bisphorics and the road to Alsace. Gaston tried to invade the land afterwards with around 5,000 men, but he was stopped and any other people would not rise up to help him, having learned their lesson from La Rochelle and other things France had done recently. Gaston managed to escape, but the local governor was executed as a scapegoat, which actually allowed reconciliation between the two French brothers. So with this failure, Lorraine was no longer a practical option for Maximilian. Duke Charles was still in charge as he made a deal, and it was relatively uncommon in a conflict like that to remove them from power, the more just give me favorable terms. So the Catholics were still in a rough position, and the tension between the HRE and France had only increased, leading to more reason for France to join the war on the side of the Swedes. The Catholic League was also in bad shape, and at this moment, it did not look like they would be getting any better anytime soon. This war was turning to a mess for everyone, as we saw with the last episode with the Swedes, but the Catholics were certainly in a worse position. But that was not the only hope for the Catholics. There were other allies to reach out to, but that will be covered next week. I want to thank you for listening in, and I hope you enjoyed it. Social media links will be in the description box, and on the links themselves, you can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder about the Patreon, thanks to those who support me, interview and spread the word, and I'll see you guys next time.